Hello and welcome to the Underwater Sunshine Podcast. This is episode 93, Three, maybe? Yes. It is the fourth part of the Purple Rain, R-E-I-G-N, in case you're wondering what the pun is all about. It is the second part of our 1999 podcast. I'm your host, Adam. This is your other host. James. The very one. So we're still talking about 1999 and along with it, all of the many, many extras and songs that were recorded around that time this is one of my favorite it is one of the most vulnerable and emotional print songs it's an absolutely beautiful song that was clearly really important to him because he didn't let anybody else record it either it was meant for 1999 when it didn't get on that record it was one of the things that ended up in a configuration supposedly on considered for purple rain around the world in a day parade crystal ball the set that eventually turned into sign of the times it was also considered for inclusion in rave under the joy fantastic it's a great great song i I know that at one point when prince wrote his synopsis for what was to be the movie purple rain he included moonbeam levels as one of the songs on this on that record as well it is included on the the 1999 box set i do believe it was actually played in the tribute concert for him after he died by Elvis Costello, maybe? Um, it's just a fucking phenomenal song. And it, check out the choruses and the vocals, all the things he's doing. He's singing, please send all your moonbeam levels to me. And the background vocal doesn't just harmonize close. Please send all your moonbeam. He's got this different rhythm to the vocal. It, it, it creates the shimmer when you hear it. It's a beautiful song with him on piano and... I'm pretty sure he's playing everything on this. Um, I know he was very proud of the song. I've heard a couple of boots of this over the years. It was really great to hear it uh, clear, a great mix master of it. Uh, he was very proud of it. And he also it's also one of those songs like Manic Monday or uh, so many songs on Purple Rain Around the World in a Day that could fit anywhere. A Raspberry Beret, it's a pop song. It's a pop song in the very strict, so it doesn't need to be within the structure of, he just couldn't fit it into any of the themes that he was doing, and it was a shame. It's funny, this one really would have fit on Around the World in a Day to me. Or Parade. Or Parade. Either one of those records it really would have fit on, but it was written and recorded uh, July 6, 1982, the day before he did Lady Cab Driver. So before we get into the second half of 1999 today, we want to start off with this song, because it's one of my favorite Prince songs ever. It's such a beautiful song. The chorus especially is mind-bogglingly good. Um, so this is Moonbeam Levels from 1982. Didn't make it on the record, but it is on the box set. This is one of the most famous Lost Prince song. The other one we're going to play later today as well. Yeah. The uh, of the two most famous Lost Prince songs. This mm-hmm. is one of the big ones. Check it out. Moonbeam Levels. Peace and all your moves, 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 peace and
That is a classic example of what made Prince so good before and after Purple Rain. Purple Rain made him a huge star. He combined all the rock and roll with the funk and everything else. But as early as 1981-82, he's writing songs that will fill out. Like, that's Starfish and Coffee. That's Condition of the Heart. That's Raspberry Beret. That's Christopher Tracy's Parade. That is a bunch of songs that he will go in that style. And it makes perfect sense that Elvis Costello, if that's who played it, because that sounds like something right off Imperial Bedroom. It really does, doesn't it? Wow. I Which mean, is, what is that the next year? It's the same, or is it? Oh yeah, eighty two as well. I think so. 
Um, is that the record that um, Shipbuilding is on? I don't anyway. Yes, it is. It is. So it, it sounds like that. It also reminds me so much of our past, Stu, and the Negro problem. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Right? Absolutely. I mean, it could be Broadway. It could be Beatles. It could be – but it's so great. And he's just playing with that sort of, hey, come into my garden, the, the, the Paisley Park, creating this world, uh, as you like to talk about a lot of times, like Bowie did. And, 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 and then – but also, you can only do all of that. If you can play the shit out of the guitar, the piano, if you could write great harmonies and really cool lyrics. I mean, that's all the things that Prince does really well and will do, by the way, three years down the road. Yeah, it's funny to me like how the detail – I mean, those harmonies are magnificent on that chorus. But he's not just singing, please send all your moonbeam levels. He's, please send all your moonbeam. Like what the background vocals do. He's not doing it in the lead, but some a lot of the backgrounds are doing that. And it causes this like brilliant like har- harmony sh- shimmer like uh it's it's all it's a classical motif under like a pop song it's it's really it's a very be, george martin thing to do right that could have gone in our chamber pop yeah <laughs> from way back when but yeah just a, an excellent way to show you what prince was doing at the same time that he's making a groundbreaking sonic album that is prescient in sounds and styles using the lindrum using all these keyboards that will be prevalent in all the music that is coming up in the 1980s and how powerful 1999 was as a pop album and as we mentioned last week as an experimental album he's doing this at the same time yeah it's pretty wild let's get back to 1999 though track number six now automatic yes now we should say is Automatic the first song on the third side? It is, right? I believe it is. Yeah. So he just ends, and this doesn't matter to anybody now because you listen to stuff on Spotify or you have CDs or however you listen to your music. You listen to it digitally. You don't you have to worry about it. But Prince did worry about it. And that the, the LP was still the prime way in which artists such as Prince or everybody presented their music. And much like the Beatles who kind of invented this concept of side one, Last song, leads up, flip it over, first song, side two kind of thing. So he ends the first two sides. This is his first double album. He will go on to do a few of them, some triple albums. And this song really, to me, is sort of like the linchpin, the centerpiece of this record. And I remember you telling me that Recovering the Satellites, which is the title of your second record, that was a double album and that that you felt like the center of the record was the title track. Yeah. And that's what this seems to me. It's not the title track, but the center of this record is sort of the the oral a u r a l the sonic sort of undercurrent subtext of this is this song. But having those two in the middle, ending the first disc with with DMSR mm-hmm. and starting the second disc with Automatic, it's just a real like that's seven eighteen minutes of funk right in the middle of your record, right. um, which didn't occur. Uh, strangely enough, because of the timing on the initial, the original CD pressing they left of this, DMSR they, left, off. they left DMSR off yeah, um, because it couldn't fit on the original way CDs were done then. They didn't want to do two CDs because it was only an extra couple of minutes. Yeah. So it's, it's over 70 minutes, which they can only put on CDs then. You know, I was going to say also, this song has like a weird ethereal sort of space age feel to it. DMSR sounds like something that could have been done in the 70s, honestly. There's nothing in there that sounds like particularly futuristic. This song kind of does to me. It's got a 
2001 weird... Space Odyssey version. Of and I feel like there's the the uh, the the harmonies have something in common with Moon being like A U T O M A T I C. Yeah, yeah. Got this kind of thing in common with that. I don't know what I'm. Something off the tip of my brain is saying that, but I don't know. No, it's true. It's, it's true. It's a great funk song, though. There's I mean, a breakdown in it where the keyboard parts comes back. That really eerie. That kind of weird thing. It's like strings. They they're, they're sound like string arrangements, really. It's so cool. This song is so cool. It has a lot of bondage in it, too. And I the video had Jill Jones and, yeah, uh, and yeah. Lisa Coleman whipping Prince. <laughs> yeah. He's tied to a bed and they're whipping him. It's just it was a promo thing and it was given out to clubs and stuff. But I remember seeing it. Right. Um, not on MTV though. <laughs> yeah, no, not, not on MTV. No. Um, okay, let's just play it. Let's get started. Let's get back into 1999. This is the beginning of side three. The beginning of disc two. A U T O Matic. Thank you. 
I'm more comfortable around you when I'm naked Can you hear me? I wonder if you have any mercy, don't torture me
the last minute and a half, two minutes of that song is so off. The, it's the, probably the coolest thing on this whole record. I mean, first of all, he starts bass soloing. <laughs> and then he does this kind of weird lower and he's and he's go off the bass part and then these other weird sounds come in and then that cool sort of spaceship sound at the very end to take us out and and lisa coleman is just doing a fantastic job with the moaning and the, uh, it's great just it's so atmospheric that was the word i was looking for before it's it's one of the more atmospheric songs that he's ever done and it's a perfect way to start side two of this record because this record deals with a lot of things like nihilism and apocalypse at the beginning of 1999 and uh, some of the stuff he sings about in at the end of um, uh, Let's Pretend We're Married in DMSR and then opening up with this. And then it goes into another song that's even more ethereal, even more dissonant, even more strange. And that's where this album starts to go into that experimental period that we talked about. We talked about some of the distancing and the dissonances he uses to create a sort of chilling feeling, mm-hmm. which is going to come up a lot more on the next song. But it's a big part of this one, too. There's like eerie kind of keyboards to make it seem a little colder at times. He does get into that, those P-funk low-end melodies to me, like you're, like you're mentioning. The, the next song is one, of, it's one of the ones we didn't agree on completely on this record. Uh, but I really love this song because it, it is... There's a dystopian theme in 1999, and he really touches on it in this song. I mean, on the surface, it's just a song about kind of straightforward questioning why women don't treat him well. But the music adds a whole other layer to it, kind of getting these robotic sounds in there and some dissonant sounds, specifically like these... uh, These weird, like, out-of-the-key melodic runs on the, on the keyboard that are they're not pitchy because they're just out of the key I think um, or maybe they're just pitched off I'm not sure but like it really does give this kind of robotic dystopian thing he's talking about why he can't find relationships that work with women but he's talking about it there must be something in the water something in the water does not compute you know right. and he's using these synthesized sounds and drum machines to really create this sort of distancing thing which is Part of the thematic nature of this record that he doesn't always touch on in every song, and I think we get a lot of this more apocalyptic themes in... He does it in a very tuneful way in 1999, and he does it in a different way in Lady Cab Driver, which becomes a lot of the sort of danger in this album comes up on those songs. But the first... But he really starts to get in... That's what I love about the second half of this record in some ways, is how he gets into those sort of more dystopian feelings and themes, beginning right off the bat with Automatic and, and Something in the Water, and really happening a lot more on like Lady Cab Driver and to a certain extent all the critics love you in New York sure and and by the way I love everything on this record the only reason I and Adam's right we kind of discussed what we would leave in and of course you can't play everything I love Free but we can't play that yeah. song because we can't play everything but this song is important I just felt if I may it's in lineage between Annie Christian which I think is even weirder in many ways in this song and also I he deals with this on Purple Rain and Computer Blue And the long version of that, which is on the Purple Rain box set, is similar to what he's doing here. So it's the only reason. Otherwise, I do love this song, and for all the reasons you just mentioned. I think there's a thematic importance to those, though. Agreed. I don't disagree at all. Annie Christian, this song, Something in the Water Does Not Compute, uh, Lady Cab Driver, and Computer Blue – 
he's re-examining a, a theme which is obviously important to him in here somewhere. Uh, there's just some. There's a way in which it's so understated on this. It reminds me of the way the choruses come in "Strange Relationship" later on. Is that on Parade? Uh, it's or is on, that no? Uh, it's on Sign, Sign of the, of the Times. times yeah. This way of like. You don't even realize you're in the chorus for a second. Yes, and, that, and he does true. it on this one too. It's it's a really soulful kind of melody line that like where the chorus you don't even feel like you're in it, and then it's like something the one because it's been thinking every girl I had the way right. that works on this song on uh, a little bit on Let's Pretend We're Married, you know, yeah, a strange relationship. He does that. It it just. I'm not sure what exactly he's doing. Is he starting on the same chord that the verse starts? I'm not sure. It's but very Joni Mitchell. It, yeah, it's very cool the way he's doing it. And it, it makes these songs have a subtlety to me that like that really hits me when those choruses hit. They ache to me. Um, yeah, it's good. And I, 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 So this, this song has always been kind of important to me that way. But he definitely is dealing with the distancing. By having the dissonances and the pitchy things, This he's playing up the robotic feelings the the modern life as like a robotic dystopia right. that it that is not something he automatically reaches for just by touching a synthesizer he has to really mean other people just get that by doing the sound but he he can make a synthesizer sound like the warmest instrument you've ever heard so he means to do it when he does it and it's a big part of this song and uh, and a big part of the theme of the record and what I talked about earlier or yes uh, last week's podcast which is that ghost in the machine concept that the police were talking yes. about or this idea that he does talk about in these songs in which he's this beating heart. He's this human and he's stuck in this sort of plastic, electronic, scary. It was kind of what Pete Townsend was talking about in the Lifehouse Project that later on became Bob O'Reilly and won't get fooled again with those weird keyboard things that he would do. He put like the, what he called the human biorhythms into yeah. won't get fooled again. That's what he's doing here. But his voice comes through in a very... Uh, uh, soulful way and I always loved the chorus of this where he sings does not compute do not compute no don't not compute don't does not, not. Compute. he does don't a double negative thank you yeah, very the, much uh, the I background bubble go does not compute don't, don't not, not compute. compute I love he does the ne- do- uh, double negative in there he makes it even less human the way he's singing it it's funny you're talking about a plastic life and that's one of the lyrics I meant to read this like the, the middle second verse of Moonbeam Levels maybe he's looking for a different world maybe he's looking for a brand new high maybe he'd like a nice condo overlooking the reins of Saturn maybe he wants affection instead of a plastic life yeah maybe he doesn't know what he wants at all so he's working in that theme anyway yeah, yeah. please send all your Moonbeam Levels to me you know he's been working on that for a little while here and on this one also there's like must be something in the water I, they drink it's been the same with every girl I've had must be something in the water they drink because why else would a woman want to treat a man so bad? And he does a thing. Why else would a woman want to treat? A, he's like a woulda doulda. He's doing this iambic rhythm yeah, thing yeah. on on the, at the end of every chorus, and the vocals and the harmonies are I else woulda woulda woulda. They're doing this like thing almost in the background, playing up the similarity in those sounds. Why else would a woman want to treat a little? You see it cascading over each other. It's pretty brilliant, like way of writing uh, and counterpoint harmonies on top of each other. Sure. They're, they're pretty outrageous. Um, and still using that a traditional John Lee Cooker, Muddy Waters, you know, I, I, I came home and my door was locked. What's happening? Where is my woman gone? What have I done wrong? What is right? And he does use a lot of these themes too in which, and Warren Zevon worked a lot in this and I learned about it by working on my book, is that 
other forces are at work here keeping him from yeah. connecting to other human beings. And as the song goes on in the latter half of the song, the background vocals are just singing over and over again, must be something in the water you drink, or does not compute, don't not compute. Don't not And compute. he weaves his vocals in and out of those vocals. Uh, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's incredible. It really is. And last thing for me, one of the things I learned from that autobiography again, and it's very short, but it's fantastic to get it, uh, the beautiful ones. And Prince talked about that very sparingly in his interviews, which he hardly ever did. But in this one, he writes a lot about his mom leaving. And he had this love-hate relationship with her. She was the representation of all the women in his life. Like, but he would always be afraid. So I hear that in Condition of the Heart and, you know... Um, do you want him? Do you want me? You know, those kind of things that he would put in these songs. This song is very sad when you couple it with that feeling he always had about losing yeah. his mom. It's definitely about that. It's like he feels like he's like a, why is this so hard for me? This is uh, something in the water does not compute.
God's name, do you want to make me cry? Why? Why? In the latter part of that song, it's hard to hear because it's un- he's just he's saying it really quietly underneath the background vocals. But bitch, you think you're special? So do I. Why in God's name do you want to make me cry? Why? Why? I'd do anything for you. Anything. Why don't you talk to me? Tell me who you are. Don't do this to me. Please don't do this. Why? Why? I do love you. I do. And then at the very end, or else I wouldn't go through all the things I do. You know, he's he's. It's a lot of vulnerable. He tries to be tough for a second in there, but then he's like, I mean, bitch, you think you're special? So do I. The, the admission underneath that. Uh, and the weird background vocal is saying, like, second coming right then. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, again, conflating the, you know, the concepts of religion with sex and wanting and desire and uh, rejection. And then he's asking some very, very honest questions about it. Like, Why? Please, and then he says, "Don't do this. Please, don't do this." Right. I mean, it's 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 pretty, it's pretty devastating stuff. It really is. Yeah, and and within the structure of a song that's very strange, um, you know, you know, which which again connotes for me sort of like that whole computer aspect or 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 electronics or how from two thousand and one Space Odyssey, which those two songs automatic obviously a u t automatic he's saying his feelings are like a computer they're they're programmed in, and I'm automatically connected to you i mean and it sounds like a computer, and then the computer doesn't you know he something he moves, does not compute yeah right. it, it's something that's happening you know i mean it's on the one hand he's just a simple song about why can't why am I getting treated so badly sure. repeatedly, but on the other hand. It's about it's a pattern of a something is going on that's making the world that is separating all of us from each other, specifically me from you, whoever the me and the you are. But it's it's getting strange out here, and <laughs> right. he will then have free, which we're not going to play. It's it's not my favorite song. It's the one I would probably replace that with Moonbeam Levels personally. Oh right, yeah. but uh, well maybe not because it's kind it's of a good wrong. Song. Moonbeam Levels is sort of but. But then he gets into Lady Cab Driver, which is, as you said, it's a thematic return of the taxi, the cab from Annie Christian. Right. Coming right on the heels kind of of the eerie distance, something in the air and free. And uh, live drums, which are inc- – his drumming on this is one of his best 
performances. And and synth drums though. There's definitely there's definitely oh, yeah. Lynn drums on here too. And he's playing the offbeats on the drums. So it's it's so odd. It's like the, he, he's playing like these jazzy offbeats and the and the drums keep it going and then the guitar playing in here and keyboards. He does this keyboard guitar thing that's very much like the Beatles at the end of Abbey Road where one guy plays a line and the next guy answers the line. He's doing that with himself yeah. towards the end. But but the song really works for me. First of all, made it Cab driver, that's that melody was copped like three or four times by other people. I'm going to try to find them. I, I meant to do that before we did this podcast, but there were. I kept talking about how there were so many artists that were influenced by this, but there are people just flat out ripped off stuff on this record. And that melody is amazing. But then it gets into this whole section where he's in the cab with the woman and they are having sex, and each time he thrusts in her. He's, this one is for, this one is for. Then he starts to do it angrily, and he starts saying, this is for. Now, that's why I was going to say get the lyrics out and see. I, I don't remember specifically what he's saying there. This is for the cab you have to drive for no money at all. This is for why I wasn't born like my brother, handsome and tall. This is for politicians who are bored and believe in war. This, yeah, that's for me. That's who that one's for. This is for discrimination and egotists who think supreme. And this is for whoever taught you how to kiss in designer jeans. That one's for that one's for for you have to live. This one's for the rich, not all of them, just the greedy, the ones that don't know how to give. This one's for Yosemite Sam and the tourists at Disneyland. And this one, ooh yeah, that's the one. That's for that's for the creator of man. And then he starts to mellow here. Keep yes. going. This is for the sun, the moon, the stars, the tourists at Disneyland. This is for the ocean, the sea, the shore. This for and that's for you. That's who that one's for. This is for the women so beautifully complex. This one's for love without sex. This is for the wind that blows no matter how fast or slow. Not knowing where I'm going, this galaxy's better than not having a place to go. That is so good. And now I know. I know. That is so good. And let me say this. Two things that are so great about this. He says in an angry way, this is for you, that's who that's for. And this is for you, that's who that was for in a good way. So in both ways, he's doing it for her or against her. And then he talks about um, the negative tourists at Disneyland, and later on he, he gives it, he's, he's like, there's a love-hate thing there. He's, he's forgiving them, and he's reaching out. In other words, the love-your-enemy concept. It's so great. It's such a great song. It's so complex on so many levels, musically and lyrically. And underneath that whole spoken word section, you get the sounds of a woman in ecstasy. Yes. And a cash register. Those two things are both playing that's, that's over right. and over again during there. Um, also, taxicabs somehow in these songs become a metaphor for places of safety, at least temporarily. Right. Like uh, maybe they're self-contained worlds in constant motion. I don't know. But he... As he says, outside the taxi, things are going wrong, though. You know, uh, as the chorus says, Lady cab driver, roll up your window fast. Lately, trouble winds are blowing hard, and I don't know if I can last. Like, outside that taxi is chaos and dystopia and apocalypse coming, maybe. But somehow, inside this taxi, he's... It's safe in both anti-Christian. I'll spend my life in taxi cabs. Right. You know, until they catch her, he's going to stay inside taxi. I don't know why they... But that's the theme he's he's working with that, that somehow for whatever reason in this world he's creating a taxi cab is a place of is a haven, some temporary haven. I don't know. Um, and it's like sex, like therapy. It's it, he's he's giving his anger over to her, and then he's he's giving his love and his feelings of there's a definite yin and yang. There's a schizophrenia to his 
love. It's it's expressed in automatic. It's expressed in um, something in the water does not compute. And here, it's 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 a great triumvirate of songs in which he can't fathom his own heart. And check out the very end of the song. I'm going to say this right before we play it, uh, because it breaks down to just the sound of city streets and his guitar. And it is, as we've said, we're going to use these words over and over again. It's a masterclass in how to play simple and sparse but unbelievably funky rhythm guitar. Uh, when you hear it isolated like that at the end, you can really hear how specific it is, how detailed the actual part is that he's been playing throughout the song. And I'll say it again and again and again. Funk music is not about just playing in the pocket. It's about the holes. It's about, it's about the detail and the specific purpose of what you want to do at that moment. The places you play, the places you don't play, where you stop, where you start. And you can hear it very clearly at the end of the song. It's another one where he breaks down to just that guitar. It's been a part of the thing throughout, but at the end he breaks down to it. And, well, you'll hear it when you get there. It's it's really good playing. Um, Great song. This is Lady Cab Driver. Hey, hey, taxi!
bone like my brother, handsman tall. This is for politicians who are bored and believe in war. And this one, yeah, that's for me, that's who that one's for. This is for discrimination and egotism, they're supreme. And this is for whoever taught you how to kiss and design a jeans. Ah, that one's for, that one's for where you have to live. This one's for the rich, not all of them, just the greedy. The ones that don't know how to give. This one's for your 77 and tourists that didn't land. And this one, oh, yeah. That's the one, that's for, that's for the, the creator of man. This is for the sun, the moon, the stars, the tourists that didn't land. This is for the ocean, the sea, the shore. This is for... That's for you, that's who that one's for This is for the women So beautifully complex This one's for love Without sex This is for the wind that blows No matter how fast or slow Not knowing where I'm going This galaxy's better Not having a place to go Now I know
getting back to the concepts we were talking about earlier about the cab being a place of safety or at least escape for him. Second verse is so telling. Lady, I'm so lonely. I know that's not the way to be. Don't want isolation, but the air, it makes me cold. Drive it, baby, drive it. Drive this demon out of me. Take me to your mansion. Honey, let's go everywhere. Help me, girl, I'm drowning. Mass confusion in my head. Will you accept my tears to pay the fare? It's fantastic in the sense where he's using the driving, drive the demon out of me. So when they are when they're having sex, he's he's putting in all these fears and anxieties through her. And then also I love the idea of there's mass confusion in my head. Like I said earlier, like there's so much yin and yang on this record when he's lyrically and emotionally uh just fantastic. I mean, just the whole thing is great. It's one of my favorite songs of his. It's my favorite song on this record because it just has so many elements to it. And this is a record that I absolutely adore. And if you've been listening to the last two podcasts, you know how much we love this record and how really great it is. Yeah. Um, now, the last song on the record is International Lover. And like Do Me Baby, it's one of his truly great R&B slow jams. I was very torn when you first brought this up because about not playing the record version. Although I had this version as well on my list of extras to play. That's what gave me the idea. But the... Oh, yeah, I sent it to you. That's right. Um, But I have to say that the record version of this is so good. It is such... Like Do Me Baby, it is a perfect song. It's got such great melodies. But... He came, as as Peggy McCreary, his engineer at Sunset Sound, said, she never knew what the hell they were working on. She just knew they were working. <laughs> right. And and when they came in to do this song, Prince comes in with Morris Day, the singer for the time. Uh, Morris is going to play drums, and Prince is going to play guitar. Because originally, this was intended to probably be a time song. And Prince is singing it in his like kind of Morris Day voice. Oh, yeah, International Lover, sure. This yeah. is one of the funniest songs that he's ever written. And it sounds a lot like it should be a time song. It's got that character that he's created for Morris Day with songs like Cool and The Walk. Right. And uh, I think, so he's, he's kind of doing his Morris voice on this. This is the first take they've done of this song. He'll come back later in the week and do it again himself and add synthesizers, guitars, drums, all kinds of other vocals. But he, and at that point, he's probably decided to keep it for himself. Right. But the first thing he does is come in the studio with his friend Morris Day, the singer for the time, who's also a great drummer. And uh, and they just play, Morris plays drums, Prince plays piano, and they record this song. Prince also sings. And they record this version live in the studio in Sunset Sound, just Prince and Morris Day. They record International Lover themselves. And it's like what we showed you uh, on how come you don't call me anymore? Prince can play some fucking piano. He's really good. He is. Two things. Two reasons why I chose to pick this one, and I'm, and thank you for acquiescing because I know how hard it is. And it was like me with don't compute because I love that as well, and I really got a kick out of hearing it again today. But also because there's such a hard way to just. Dis- there's two reasons. One. Like you said, he's so great on piano, which is kind of buried in a lot of production on the record, that you hear here. He's well, he doesn't play much piano either. He mostly goes for the synthesizer on these Synthesizer, records. right. There's very little piano. Right. And then number two, 
it's so funny, this lyric, that it's kind of buried in a way with a lot of like, again, string arrangements or keyboard arrangements and moaning. And in this one, he's really playing it up as the Morris Day character. And number three, it really gives you an insight of how he built a track in his head in the studio. And I, and, and I guess the last thing I would say is that it is just so endearing, him and Morris Day, who will in a few months be huge stars with the release of Purple Rain. Huge. Morris Day becomes a star. He's the, the, the secret ingredient. He's, the, he's the, the key element. He's the great supporting uh, clown prince of that, that uh, very dark otherwise movie. And Prince, of course, blows up into one of the biggest stars on the planet on that. But these are two guys in a studio putting a song together and having fun. And there's one point when Prince is using the metaphor of the airplane, as he does with cabs or cars, or, of, uh, as, as you're going on Inch Prince International. And he does all, and he's laughing. That's the thing. I, when he started laughing, I thought, oh, all these years I knew he was having some fun with us because it's just so over the top. He's like, even I think this is crazy. But some of the things he says in there, you have the lyrics yeah. in front of you? Please. Good evening. This is your pilot, Prince speaking. You are flying aboard the Seduction 747, and this plane is fully equipped with anything your body desires. This is my favorite part right here. <laughs> if for any reason there is a loss in cabin pressure, I will automatically drop down to apply more. <laughs> to activate the flow of excitement. <laughs> to activate the flow. But he says it. On the record, he's saying it's sexy. In this, he's just he's literally like a guy over, over the speaker. Extinguish all clothing materials and pull my body close to yours. Place my lips over your mouth and kiss, kiss normally. In the event there is overexcitement, your sheet cushion may be used as a flotation device. We ask that you please observe the no letting go sign. I anticipate a few turbulence along the way. Yeah. We are now making our final approach to satisfaction. <laughs> Please bring your lips, your arms, your hips into the upped and locked position for Beautiful. landing. Can That's you feel fantastic. it? Can you feel it? Yeah. That's comedy writing. It's I mean, beautiful. Yeah. It, 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 uh, <laughs> but you can just, you know, this is him and his best friend, you know, in the studio. Having a ball. Just playing together. I, and it only seemed fair because I knew I was not using that kind of live in the studio version of How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore because I really wanted to use the record version. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons it really seemed when you said it that we should use International Lover. Because you need to hear, like, he's just, this is just a live take. Yeah. It's not, like, yes, he could play. And you can tell on How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore, he's a great piano player. But that could be copped from 50 takes. But this is just a live take of a guy and his friend on drums, and he's singing and playing piano. And it's uh... and it shows you his humor. Everyone said, and I've heard it before. And and as he got older, uh, in the two thousands, you'd see a lot more interviews and background stuff, and him goofing around playing basketball with people and joking around and making fun of people. But when he was with Morris Day, the two of them were two peas in a pod. And you f- you feel this here before yeah. any of us knew when Prince was creating all these good versus evil and all these different cool things and being really cool and being real serious there's a real great sense of humor to Prince and, you, and it comes out here well yeah and it, you know all those things you gotta remember that all those time songs are written by Prince yeah that's right so you know like and those are funny they are funny you know that character that character that you see in Purple Rain in the movie of Morris Day is a character that Morris and Prince came up with together for Morris you know mm-hmm. um, so this is International Lover Prince on piano and vocals Morris Day on the drums Peggy McCreary, engineering at Sunset Sound. A little eavesdropping here. One, two, three.
is overexcitement. You see, cushion may be used as a flotation device. We ask that you please observe the no letting go sign. I anticipate a few turbulence along the way. Our final plunge into satisfaction. Bring your lips, your arms, your hips into their upped and locked position. <laughs> Welcome to satisfaction. Please remain awake until the aircraft has come to a complete stop. Thank you for flying Morris International. Don't touch the symbols. The next time you fly, fly the international lover. was one of the more fun things I think we've shared with our audience in the two years we've been doing this. It was a pleasure to sit here and listen to that with you. It, it, it's just a pleasure sitting here. I miss him so much. When I hear that, it's got everything that I love about Prince. Like I said, his humor, his control freakdom, his Stella Morris. Uh, come on, you hit the symbols here. Give me a nice uh, closing. And then... Uh, no, it says... Welcome to thank you for flying Morris International. Don't, don't touch, touch the symbols. symbols. <laughs> he says he wants something to do the ending, but not yet. He's like, don't touch the symbols here. I'm gonna do something on the piano. He's like, welcome. Uh, to, thank you for flying Morris International. Don't touch the symbols. Right, that, that we, kills me right there. He keeps it in the lyrics so we can order them around. Uh, it's just so great, you know. And uh, some of those piano runs are just classic Prince and so beautiful and just funny. And you mentioned you pointed out, uh, you know, as a as a, a great singer uh, would that he's clearly singing that not only for the range of Morris Day, but he's singing it almost to keep it on the rhythm to, you know, to, as a structure for the song, because they're kind of figuring the song out in a way. But there's also no gymnastics there. Right, he's which not is too, on the record, which is why it, you wanted to play the record. Well, no, no, but it's not just, no, but I mean, I love the record recording. I think it's a brilliant, like a lot of his production, he's not one of those guys who needs to be, we need to hear, uh, 
unplugged takes on things because they're more interesting. The truth is, he's so good as a producer that it makes everything great, too. But you're right about reasons for playing this. You can hear his humor in this. He laughs. Yeah. Um, you know, but I also think at, the, at that moment, he's planning this to be... That's one of the reasons I'm sure he's planning this to be a time song at that point when he plays this because he doesn't do any Prince gymnastics on the vocals, which are all over the other version because he can. He really keeps this in in the pocket, sings it really soulfully in that lower range where it's good for, for uh, Morris. Um, he doesn't sing it like a Prince song. He sings it like a time song, like... Uh, like that song "Girl" on the first time album, "Girl." Oh yeah. Then why don't you run away? Because because there's no Prince in the. It's as if he's writing a demo for Jermaine Jackson, not for Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? Like a guy who's a really good soulful singer, but not with the crazy range of Michael. Um. Yeah, I, I, it's a great. It is so. There's but something so fucking guess. heartwarming about hearing yes. him laugh. And and like be clearly joking around a couple times where he cracks up in there. It just it's heartbreaking that he's not here to crack up on more stuff. But yeah. I guess we would never have heard this otherwise. Never, but. no. And and it's great to be a fly on the wall. Like I said, you know, it's it's eavesdropping on on something like that. And you've always read about stuff like that, and there are things about it. But when you hear what he's like, well, he he did it. He released a, a posthumously. They released a piano and microphone. Uh, last year, or 2018, in which he's just playing these songs in the studio. I, I think he's rehearsing. It doesn't sound like he's playing them for the first time just to kind of feel it out like that. But he's. But it gives you an example of like how much fun he had just playing in the studio. That's all he wanted to do. Just turn on the mic and let's have some fun. Yeah. So the next song we're going to play, there's a pretty small group of people who Prince... Uh, uh, I noticed that on the, on the booklet for this, they, they remark on that, that it's a pretty small group of people who Prince uh, regularly allows in the studio to contribute at times. Uh, Bobby Z, uh, Andre Drummer. Simone, yeah, uh, Lisa, Lisa Coleman, Matt Fink, you know, who plays on Dirty players. Mind and is around a lot because of the keyboard playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one is, is really Des Dickerson. Uh, and they're pretty tight. And uh, on this next song, which is kind of like a... It reminds me of, of like stuff on Black and Blue by the Stones where they're doing little uh, kind of reggae stuff. Yes. Um, it's like him playing a kind of a fun poppy reggae song. It could be one of the ones you could. This could be a Stone song from Black and Blue in some ways, uh, and it's just Prince and Des Dickerson. Des is playing some guitar, rhythm guitar, and the guitar solos, and he sings. You can hear him singing in the backgrounds with Prince on this. Yeah. The rest of it is Prince playing like the rest of the instruments, the uh, keyboards, and I think drums are a Prince. Uh, it's a great little song. I, I'm, I'm so glad we both wanted to play yeah, this. Yeah, it right jumped out of me when I was listening yeah. to these over and over again. I was like, "Wow, this!" Every time it came around, I was like, "This is a really good song." It keeps getting better. You know? Yeah, I read reviews where people said this was this song was a complete piece of shit, uh, which I don't understand because to me it's just so hooky and fun. I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, but I guess they weren't. It wasn't as interesting as some of those stuff. But you know, it, it's Prince effortlessly writing a song that you just kind of want to sing along with. It's it's a great to me. It's a great little soul reggae. Could have been a Stax tune yeah. from the or a, or a Cream High tune from the early seventies or a Stax tune from the late sixties. Uh, and if you're a fan of Prince at this period, you get this. You get what he's doing here. In fact, I sent to my sister-in-law Shannon's a huge Prince fan. In fact, I think it was Shannon who ended up telling me that Prince that she had heard that Prince died. And um, every time we get together, we talk about Prince or we'll, we'll play. We'll put a Prince side on. And I sent this to her. I was like, listen to this. It was so exciting. I wanted to share it with somebody who yeah. knew it. And she wrote back, me likey. <laughs> so it was like one of those things where 
if you're if you're a fan of him from that period, I don't know why anyone would think this is terrible. I've heard some other. I'm not a complete Prince apologist. I've heard some stuff that he's done. It's not great. I think this is a great song. I do too. I think this is a great, great little piece of just pop hook writing magic. It's just. Uh, which is why I wanted to include it. I just, I just love this song. Yeah, um, And uh, I thought it's something people could have fun hearing. Also, you know, the truth is that Dez and Prince sing great together. Yeah. And it's nice to hear them. And Dez knew how to play guitar on Prince tracks. As good as Prince is as a guitar player, sometimes he just wanted to hear is the way his friend played. Like, Dez is the only other person who plays an instrument on this entire on the entire record of 1999. And it's his guitar parts on the single. Um, Prince didn't go back and... You know, redo the guitars himself for Little Red Corvette. They're all done by Dez. Right. And by um, the way, he plays his ass off on that live recording. The one on the disc on this thing? Oh, yeah. yeah. Dez Dickerson's playing amazingly good on that. Yeah, it's fantastic. And he's not going to be in the band for much longer. Nope. Because by the time they do Purple Rain, he's left to do his own thing. And Wendy. And Wendy's joined the band. Um, mm-hmm. who be- and she becomes a great foil for Prince as well, yeah, just as Lisa is. Um, but check this out. This is called If It'll Make You Happy. Your friends may say If it'll make you happy 
come my way You just pointed out something to me that was very important. Go ahead, what were you going to say? Oh, I, I, it, we were, you were saying it was probably Dez playing right there, and I was saying it's got to be because I bet he wanted Dez to play guitar so he could fuck around on drums like that right. to something. Yes. Because so- those, those drums... I'm glad we played this right after International Lover because that's him in the studio with another friend having a really good time. That's what I was going to say. I mean, the, those drums are incredibly... They're, everybody's humorous in their own way as like what he's doing spoken word on international right Robert. right he's yeah. he's stop start they're funky but they're also like all over the place and they're they're completely commenting humorously on what's going on there and so he's having a lot of fun on that drum part yes you know? he is the observation i was going to have that i have now on this song after you and i was speaking uh, while it was playing is that this is another insight into what it's like with him just playing with someone else and just just kind of formulating a track one that he clearly had no interest in ever releasing and he didn't think it was as good as the other ones and rightfully so but it's a playful wonderful i mean that melody is so infectious i'm surprised he didn't give that to someone else because that one is a hit for yeah. somebody else that's it's just such a great melody like you said it's reminiscent of cherio baby Oh, cherry, oh, cherry. I mean, it's reminiscent of that. But it's just got so much Red, hook. red wine. It's just like kind of got that feel to it, you know? It's got so much hook to it. Happy. It could have easily been a hit for somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a great song. I mean, uh, to me, I don't know why people don't like that song. I don't know if it's a lot of people. Or I just, maybe I just read it in one review somewhere. To me, it's just fucking fantastic, though. I'm surprised that one isn't one of the ones he sent out to people because that's a hit to me. Right. Well, maybe people will hear this now and somebody will cover it. Uh, we sh- this is a huge left turn from this song because this is a very trite, happy, poppy song that he did fooling around in, in the studio. But are we going to play this now? Are we going to do this Oh, now? yeah. We've only got two songs left. This is one of the most important unknown songs in Prince's catalog, for sure. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it was one... This is another one we, we both were like, we should play this. Well, it was really you because I was thinking we wouldn't because it's, it's, it's long, but it's... It's such, it is such an important song. Yeah, to your credit, after I texted you that and you were like, oh boy, I don't know, it's kind of long, we have a lot of stuff. I was thinking in terms of two podcasts, but then you must have listened to it because yeah. about 12 minutes later, almost to the end of the song, you're like, holy shit. You know, because sometimes you, every time I hear this, I play this with my wife driving home for when we went to see David Byrne, and I was like, you have to hear this. And it was one of those things where you hear it and you've always heard about purple music. You always heard that there was a song purple music. And I could swear, I even said it to you, I think, that it, I thought it was a version of it was on the Purple Rain box set, but it's not. It's not. Yeah, no. And and this uh, is the one that's never been released anywhere. That everyone said was it's one of the most important. He played bits of it in concert occasionally. You'd heard about this song, yes, and how important it is. It, it was. It's again one of those funk fugues. It's got that great ominous sense of what you're getting on on 1999. It's a driving rhythm, but there's stuff he's doing in here vocally and also with the extra instruments. These little jazzy, weird guitar parts and other things coming in and I just love that chorus it sounds metallic it sounds computerized it sounds inhuman in a way it reminds me in some ways of All the Critics Love You and also of Something in the Water Does Not Compute it's got these similarities to both those songs in the groove that it is Um, it's not melodic like the one we just listened to but it is the it's almost like a jazz track. There's so much shit he does that is brilliant musically. 
that I I was taking notes on it and I just couldn't keep it all in my head. I'll tell you the one thing that really stuck with me that I wanted to say that everyone should check it out. There's a moment in the middle of the song, and it's about 10 minutes long, uh, but there's a moment in the middle where he just starts playing this single driving note on the bass, and he just stays on this one note on the bass for ages, even when it does not fit the chord. He sticks on this one note on the bass. Do, 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 As he changes the chords with everything else and they move around, he holds this one note on the bass, just playing it over and over again. And it becomes kind of chilling and like uh, disturbing almost on this one note. He keeps going on. It's like he creates so much tension by doing this one thing and just staying on it, on it, and on it, and on it, and on it. And then all of a sudden he just drops the bass right out completely doesn't just change the note he just stops playing the bass and the whole song like opens up and you'll hear it when it happens yeah what happened to me after he said that was i went back because i, I like the song but it didn't jump out at me melodically like some of the other ones did even though it is a famous song and i've been waiting to hear this song for years and years yeah but it just occurred to me how fucking brilliant the, as a funk workout it is this song it's just it's him just like playing through all these moods and dissonances and hooks and funky licks and all these different moods the song takes you through what he's talking about like this is what music does for me in life I don't need drugs I don't need alcohol even I because music is all those things music is my reefer music is my is my weed is my need is to my get acid. High the way he sings that it's everything to me and 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 while he's singing this and it's just like this long kind of up-tempo, like, groove on the lindrums he's got going on. You know, there's some bass, there's some scratchy guitar. It's it's just... it. it it's a lot to take in. It's also incredible. You know, we, we didn't want to play this last because we want you to stick around because this song is... I don't want you to, like, leave because this song is so deep to me. It is so deeply Prince. And so deep a representation of what he is, and he gets the fuck into it. Um, it's, it's relentless. Just, it's a relentless, and it's yeah. and put it on the headphones because there's shit going on in here that's really hard to totally understand. And to me, when I heard it, everything opened up as far as erotic city and another lover hole in the head. These these jams where like he just keeps building stuff. And also, build- the Sheila E ones, like Glamorous Life and A Love Bizarre. I love Bizarre. The longer tracks that he does with her yes. that are so. You know, and it also reminds me of like what the song that La Love Bazaar is an homage to in some ways, which is a Love Supreme. You know, the long John Coltrane sure, track where he song, moves yeah. through movements. You know, it's almost like his Prince's funk version of that. Yes. You know, yeah. This was an um, important, important song to him. It really is almost tragic that it was never released. It is seriously a, a, a blessing and a gift that it is now out and we can hear it and we're going to play it on this podcast because what's going on in this song is just everything that Prince does really well. You're right. It's sort of his autobiography in a way. It's sort of his uh, raison d'etre. It's his, it, it's his mission statement, really, in many ways. He's got so many of them, and we played it, Sexuality and all these other songs. But this song, for me, it just opened up a lot of stuff for me. And I, I'm just really glad that we got to hear it, and I'm glad it's out now. Yeah, I mean, he considered it for a bunch of stuff. It probably is the basis for several songs. Uh, he's got this effect on his voice that he's using. So cool. Yeah, uh, it's not quite as crazy as the Camille stuff on Black Album, but he, but he is doing something with it, you know, working towards that. His phrasing is kind of coldish, like on the song "America" from uh, from Around the World around in the a world Day. Day. There's something about the phrasing in this that really 
is very eerie but cool. He never performed this regularly on tour until that last uh, at piano and a microphone tour when he did start playing it a lot on piano. Uh, strangely enough, I like to hear um, that. And uh, we just play it, but it, it, it really check this out because it is a deep vibe of what Prince is all about on this song. And it's it's a legendary track. It's this and Moonbeam levels are the ones that people have been waiting to hear. The legendary Lost Prince tracks are those two. Um, Purple Music. If you needed a pointer to tell you how important to Prince is, it's called Purple Music. You know, and it's the year before he makes Purple Rain. This is one he's been in L.A. for several months in the spring and the early parts of 1982. Uh, and he goes back to uh, Minneapolis, and do, is, like, this is in May of that year. Didn't he he's build on this for months on end? This was done like during the, the 1999. But I thought he worked on this after the fact. This is a no. This is a one day recording. I mean, I'm sure he did work on it, but this is May 22nd, 1982. Wow, this wait. particular version of the song, which is the version that everyone has talked about. All um, right, here it is. Purple music.
Uh, what, can, what can you say? I, I really don't even know where to start. We could do a whole podcast on that song. <laughs> yeah, just there's so much that goes on. The problem is you want to play like a minute of it and then talk about a minute of it and then play another <laughs> minute of it. There's so much that goes on. The, the, the bass doesn't really drop out at that moment I was thinking of. It, it just goes to a slap. Yes. At that moment after he's been playing the But it's the like same a relief. Note. It's yeah, a release. It's a huge yeah. release right there. Yeah. And at the end he just just it lasts forty five seconds of that. It's insane. It's like everything happening at once. <laughs> yeah, and I, I th- th- there's weird keyboards and guitar parts that come in and out of there. Like you know, it, it, it's kinda like Willy Wonka's ride through the from that scene in Willy Wonka where they get on the boat. That's what that's like. It comes through all these different weird Things that just come out of nowhere. What the hell was that? You know what I mean? If you have headphones on, it's it's brilliant. It's quite stark, uh, an amazing piece of work. I, I don't, I don't, you know this 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 nineteen ninety nine period, and and that's why this box set is so great, and and the fact that they put so much love and care in getting these songs out, and that we get to hear it because we could have done two podcasts just on nineteen ninety nine. I mean, those songs are just amazing, and they still to this day resonate. But these songs, hearing them for the first time and Knowing how brilliant they are, that just underlines why we just love Prince so much. Yeah, he's just a, a creative force, like very, very, very. I I was gonna say like no other, and then I switched to very few others. But I'm, I'm thinking of going back to no other. I don't know. If there's anybody Stevie who's Wong, this. Maybe Stevie Wonder could have made that. Maybe no. I'm oh he, absolutely. But I mean, didn't Stevie Wonder is yeah. incredibly creative, but he's not making records for three bands at once and writing songs for everybody. He writes some. Smokey Robinson writes songs for a lot of other people. Right, right. But. They're not like the the wealth of creative energy that goes into being Prince with the amount of stuff he puts out, the amount of stuff he doesn't put out. But just like we're sitting here like, if this record's drowning it, I suppose they all probably are. You know, um, that's pretty wild to me. Um, Incredible. Yeah, it really is. Um, this next song is just a lot. It's just a little fun thing. It reminds me more of It'll Make You Happy than any, anything else. It's just... Uh, it's just kind of uh, like a slow robo punk version of uh, robo, not robo punk, like a robo kind of pop funk version of "Let's Go Crazy." It's also reminiscent of "Dirty Water" by the Standells. You know, it's got a little bit of that in it. It's just kind of a fun little song called "Yeah, You Know." Um, it reminds me very much of Devo. He's pretty much being Devo in this. He's yeah, that's kind of true too. Um, yeah. Or, or the missing persons, or but it's got a little more funk and soul than they do. They don't have that. No, um, dirty water kind of does. Right. He's, it's, but he'll, which is why I think Talking Heads comes in there because they were funky. Yes. And he'll revisit the, this this musical theme in a little more sped up way at the opening of Purple Rain. He, it, Let's go crazy. Does a little. It's got a little bit of that descending line kind of right. like old rock and roll thing. Um, I mean, there's like there's five. There's five discs on this record. We could have played you a ton of live stuff that we didn't do from that yeah. concert. There's two full discs of Vault unreleased stuff, a, a disc of uh, B-sides and, and remixes that were done. The record itself is a brilliant remaster. And then there's another entire disc that's just a DVD. There's so much on this record that we could have... We could go on for days playing stuff from this record. Man, that it was, was, but, was percolating, boy, I'll tell you. But we're going to finish up with this one, with Yeah, You Know, and we're going to get out of here. Uh, Thank you so much for going on this journey with us for really the first part of what we'll eventually get through all these amazing Prince works from the 1980s. But we thought we'd give a break and then go on to other things the next couple of weeks, and we'll come back to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's like maybe kindled or rekindled some interest in you in this 
this great, great, great artist. Uh, and thank you so much for all your comments about it. People are really excited about this, and they're really coming through. I got a lot of responses of, hey, play that, or I'm so glad I heard that. Or, what was that? I never heard that before. So I, I think it's getting through. It's resonating. And I love when we do these deep dives. And we are going to hit the ground running with the Purple Rain era when we get back into it. But this was an excellent overview, if I may say, of the early days of Prince when he becomes Prince. For all intents and purposes. This is a fun song to go out on. I think you'll really like this song. I love this song. So uh, this is called Yeah, You Know. Uh, Thanks for listening. I'm James. I'm Adam. Peace. Late.